crazy. We're hitting episode number 123. And in all the time that I've been doing this, I dare say that there are very few people I would put above you in a list of photographers whose experiences and opportunities to photograph different places I'm more jealous of than yourself. But before we get into all of that, obviously the first place that we have to start is why is you first picked up a camera and why is you now find yourself in the position of being a photographer? So first of all, thank you, Chris, for, for the kind words. Um, so I found photography in probably a little bit unusual or less traditional path um, in terms of I was definitely a late bloomer to, to this, to this thing. And um, I had no interest to photography whatsoever growing up. So I was, I was mainly into sports and, and, um, marketing. That was, that was something I was very interested on early on and photography was not on my radar whatsoever until I was, let's see, we are talking about, I was 24, 25 when Mm -hmm. I first Picked, picked up my camera. So basically a little bit of context for this. I now live in Norway, but I, I was, um, raised in Finland, originally born in, in Tallinn, but I barely spent any time there. I, I would say I was born and raised in, in Finland and, um, left the country to study in the U S and, and long story short, found a lady, now my wife in, in the U S who happens to be Norwegian. And then I ultimately came, came after love to Norway. And here we are seven years later. And it was not until the very first year of living here in Norway, when I started seeing outdoors in completely new eyes and the only thing I had in my pocket was, was my iPhone. And, um, that's how it really started. And that was actually, uh, I moved here in fall 2013. And during the summer, me and, and a couple of my good friends, we did a road trip from our hometown in Finland, all the way to the northernmost point in Norway. And we drove down to the Lofoten coast and, and I was sitting on the back seat. We were sharing driving responsibilities. And, and I remember it was midsummer and I would, I would look outside the window 2 AM and I could not believe what I was, what I was seeing the, the light and the, the mountain peaks and, and the pastel colors. Like that was, that was something that I had never seen before. And I remember I, it was like instinct that I, I had to reach out from my phone and, and just document what I was seeing and what I was feeling. And, and I would say like, that was one of the early memories of, of photography in my life. And then, um, a little bit, a little bit later, it, it's, I started gaining the interest in photography and started using my phone during that same, same season, the rest of the year 13 until, um, I think we were talking about the end of the year. 
I was, I was playing with the idea like, Hey, maybe this is something I would actually really enjoy doing. Maybe I should invest in a, in a little bit better camera than, than iPhone was at the time. And I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to be a, a photographer, much more experienced than, than I was. And, and he's, he suggested that maybe, you know, send an email to some of the little bit smaller camera brands and, and try to see if, if someone is willing to either loan a camera or, or let you use in, in return of some, some photos. And I thought the idea was completely crazy and, and I, hmm. I couldn't understand why would, why would anyone want to do something like that with me? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Long story short, I, that same night, I, I wrote an email and I, I sent the draft to my friend. He said, looks good. Just adjust these and these things. I sent the email and the next morning I got a response saying that, Hey, yeah, we would love to do that. What kind of, what kind of body and, and lenses you have been thinking of. And, um, I, I knew nothing about lenses. So I just forwarded the email to my friend who gave me graciously some advice on what kind of focal lengths could be, could be good to, good to start with and, and so on and so forth. And that's how I got my first, first real camera, which is pretty ridiculous story. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, that was, that was sort of the, the first, first chapter of, of my photography. And, and of course, ever since I started using, um, something else than my phone and, and the interest was gaining exponentially as I, as I started learning how cameras actually work. One of the things you brought up there obviously is born and raised in, and you're calling it born and raised in Finland um, and now living in Norway, Norway being universally known as one of the most beautiful countries in the world. The only place in Scandinavia that I've been is actually uh, Northern Finland. From your experience, what are the differences between those two Scandinavian countries in terms of what you're seeing visually? What, what's there to experience as a photographer? The main difference is definitely the silhouette of, of the nature in Finland, there is officially zero mountains. So that's, that's one major difference versus Norway, wherever you go, almost there are, there are spectacular peaks. So that's one thing I think, um, Lapland, particularly the Northern part of Finland, it's, it's extremely beautiful. It's, very, um, wild and, and not populated place in any way. There are some, there are some hubs and, and some resort areas where, where people, people have their cabins and so on. But, um, the big difference is, is definitely that Norwegian nature is generally much more rough and, and, um, taller peaks and, and mountains and fjords versus, Finnish landscape is is primarily just rolling hills and and forests and and lakes. It's called a land of thousand lakes, which is also a little bit ironic, as far as I understand. Norway has more lakes than Finland does, but Finland is known <laughs> land of thousand lakes. One thing I found with Finland was I, I kept finding myself kind of being overawed, especially being someone from England, where we have the most mundane, boring weather. To be surrounded by 
not only the kind of the interesting the time scale with with the seasons but the the sheer amount of snow dealing with the cold the way everything looked with that with that wonderful dusting of snow i i found myself getting overawed with the aesthetic and i i took generally some pretty terrible photos because i got too caught up in what i was seeing and then the flip of that is i go to somewhere like utah or nevada and I want to go photograph um, the desert or I want to go photograph the Valley of Fire or Death Valley or something like that. And I get too caught up in my camera and I don't really experience the time that I've had there. How do you, how do you enjoy the place that you're photographing and come away with good photos? That is actually very, very interesting. And I, I want to say I've definitely experienced the same, especially when I, when I see a new landscape for the first time. It's it's always a little bit overwhelming if if it's something something very fascinating to me so usually usually i i need some time to adjust myself into what i'm what i'm surrounded by and and uh sometimes it takes a little bit shorter time sometimes a little bit longer but um i usually take a little bit of time sometimes i have very limited time so then then I have to act fast if, if I actually want to get something out of it. But if I have the um, time that I, I need, I usually try to just look around, have my camera somewhere else in, in, the, in the camera bag and try to keep it there until I feel like I have some sort of overview and, and sense of what is really standing out to me in, in that particular scene. So that's, that's something, that's something that I do, but I, I find that if, if I'm revisiting places, that's when, when I definitely can act faster, but if it's something completely new, I, I find that it happens still every time it's, it's, um, I, I think it's ultimately a good thing because that makes makes you you think and also like you ha- you're forced to use your instincts in a way to to figure out what are you seeing what are the compositions that are on the left or the right how does the light work here i find that that's that's one really massive difference between between the northern europe and and especially scandinavia versus for example california or wherever else the light works completely differently and whether it's sunset in california or sunset in norway they don't look the same and and i think i think that's that's really fascinating and and i'm still trying to understand why they work the way they work and and also like how to how to capture that with my with my camera and and sort of make images that that complement what I'm seeing in, in each place. How do you go about finding new places that you want to photograph? Do you go down the route of sort of seeing photographs other people have taken, which I guess could be kind of a double-edged sword because you know what you're going to get, but you kind of know what you're going to get. Or, or are you someone, do you, do you get to know like the local area and you ask the local people? It's, it's always fascinating to me how people find these incredible spots. So how are you going about finding these new places to photograph? That is actually a very, very good question. And, and, um, I have worked really hard to 
stick to my my principles in in a way that I don't want to go to locations that I have seen someone take an incredible photograph at because I would go and and replicate that. I definitely uh, when I when I see other people's works work that I admire and and find inspiration in I take notes and I rather than looking at particular photograph I I try to understand how the landscape in in that place is and actually more than more than even Instagram I tend to use Google Earth for for my research maybe the initial spark might come come from seeing a photograph on on the internet or or even more so these days in in photo photo books i i consume a lot of those i find that scrolling is is very hard on my thumb and i i try to do that less and less but i i love photo books and um yeah when i when i see when i see a photograph i go to google earth and that's that's another beast that i'm i'm trying to figure out how to use productively in a way because it's such a fascinating tool for me that um it has so much information and and it's in a weird way it's it's almost like being in the place without being in the place so it's traveling literally on on your computer and and i could spend hours and hours if I, if I had that, but, um, for, for researching particular areas, for example, in Northern Norway, where I have not been, but I'm, I'm aware that there is something, I think Google earth is, is particularly a very great tool for that. I mean, you said that you started photography really on the basis of that kind of overwhelming feeling of seeing somewhere that you just wanted to photograph with your phone you were kind of so overcome with it is there a danger that if you're really planning ahead to the to the point of like exact angles of where you want to be that you kind of lose the possibility to have that surprising moment when you find something you weren't expecting to i'm not sure if this is answering the question correctly or directly but i think I think that that's that's the part of photography in in the style I I do it is is that there are certain amount of things that I have under control but there are also a lot of elements that are completely on their own out of my control and and that's that's one of the most fascinating things usually what comes to what comes to particularly landscape photography which is only a a part of part of what i do but um i love shooting outdoors and and um big big thing with that for me is knowing what the season is like generally but also taking the risk that it could be pretty much anything you you never know if it's if it's going to snow or or um rainwater or how the how the colors are during those weeks or days when when you plan so it's it really comes down to research you you can you can have pretty good image of of um 
how it may look like, but at the same time, anything can change just in a matter of hours even. And um, the places that I have enjoyed shooting the most are are often places where the weather changes all the time and, and the conditions are always very unpredictable. So I, I, I think that's that's one of the most fun parts because you can you can only have control over certain things, which is enough for me. Um I accept that and the rest is is spontaneous. And actually I would say that a lot of the times it turns out even better when when something completely unexpected happens. You know the the light changes and and there there are these tiny little pockets where the the clouds are breaking and and something happens and like you get images that you could have never planned to get in the first place. Well, something I've seen, especially landscape photographers, kind of not a subject that I've spent an awful lot of time actually photographing myself. I generally find myself to be either too impatient, too lazy or just not talented enough to get anything useful from it. But with landscape photography, it's something I immensely respect. But it does seem like with the exposure of it on YouTube, what I've seen of it on on YouTube in particular, is there there are people that will travel halfway around the world with a specific photo in mind that they have to get. And then the weather conditions don't play ball or or whatever doesn't quite work out. And they just won't take a photo. They just won't even try and make something of the conditions that they're given. And I'm a wedding photographer by trade. And obviously I've never had the luxury of kind of going, now I'll come back another day and see what I think. Like it's, it's that day. That's the only choice I've got. Are you someone that if you get there and everything's not lining up for what you want, you kind of, you'll, you'll shut the bag and, and give it up and just kind of enjoy it for, for the hike that it is. Or do you try and make something of whatever kind of, I guess, to coin a phrase, whatever God gives you. That's, uh, <laughs> I, I must say that's, uh, it's a familiar concept. And my, my take on that is I learned very early on that going to a particular location doesn't mean that you will get the same photograph that you saw someone else getting, getting from that same location. and what i what i figured very quickly is that you either have to not take that photo because you are not getting what you originally wanted or you have to make the elements work for you in some other ways and like i like i mentioned earlier i personally try to stay away from taking same the same photo that i have seen someone else taking i always try to bring something something unique to that in order to create something that has my my personal point of view to that photograph and um i definitely i prefer things to go somehow not necessarily wrong but something unexpected to happen i count on that basically and and then i just try to adjust because i think especially with landscape photography that's one of the major factors that that really i'm drawn to is is the unpredictability and i am i am thriving when when things don't go my way if if it's 
very predictable. I sometimes find it even a little bit boring and, and um, I try not to take boring photographs, whether it's a known location or less known location. And, and um, usually I, I actually try to bring some other elements, whether it's, whether it's finding something, something completely unique in the same scene or, or bring people into the, into the context or, or something like that, but finding that just plain nature photography as it is wide angle and, and showing the scale and the vastness and, and, and all that, that is something that I'm, I'm probably drifting away from a little bit these days. Not to take this in in any kind of negative direction, uh, but something that I've, I've been finding really interesting from doing the podcast now for a while. And when talking to people that do any kind of travel or landscape work, you know, over the last few years, I think Iceland has had to really clamp down on the way that certain people are behaving because it became a little bit Instagrammable uh, for certain things to be done in Iceland and people weren't maybe respecting the, the, the nature, they weren't respecting the landscape just so they could get an image that would then get them some likes on Instagram. I imagine Norway probably suffers from the same problem because it has, in many ways, a similar sort of aesthetic. I think even down to like really micro areas, I live in an absolute, completely undesirable place in terms of like landscape. There's nothing to see here that's even remotely nice. All we have is one poppy field. And um, this year, everybody was banned from it after about two weeks because they completely ruined it by going in and trampling the whole thing to get pictures for Instagram. Do you feel like there's more of a heightened responsibility now for photographers that do landscape travel work to to be a little bit more conscious of the damage that they're doing and maybe not always take the same path as everyone else as much for the photos as for just preserving the landscape? I definitely hear what you're saying and and that's exactly correct. I've seen that myself in in Iceland and in some other places and it is it is definitely happening in Norway as well to some extent. I think it has to do with the accessibility to to certain locations. And if it's very beautiful and easy access, then it likely will experience exactly that phenomenon. And um particularly in in northern Norway and Lofoten that has been happening for, for a couple of years. And I'm not sure if, if the case has been that places have been ruined necessarily, but there are some, some really practical issues. Like uh, I have heard lots of tourists who are, who are coming for, for the beautiful scenery and, and photographs in Lofoten they might, for example, it's a small place and, and there's really only one, one main road that is very narrow as well. And, and if they see something and, and the weather aligns and all the elements are right there, like you see the shot and you go for the shot, they might just park their car in the middle of the road, leave the doors open, go for their shot. And then 
other cars are coming in two minutes and they're just blocking the entire road, like things like that. Definitely understand that it pisses off the locals and, and causes, causes problems. But what comes to like ruining the nature, I don't know if, if that has been happening because of, because of, um, it hasn't really blown up in, in the same scale as it, as it probably has been in Iceland, but it could be just a matter of time. And, and I think photographers definitely carry some sort of responsibility in, in the way they present their work. You are not obligated to share the location. Of course, people who want to do the research, they will figure out where, where those places are. But in, in terms of like promoting them as, as these easy access, very photogenic destinations for everyone, I don't think, I don't think that is very good thing. And, and, um, I definitely hope that photographers who do travel a lot and, and, um, go to these beautiful places, they, they at least think twice before publishing them and, and asking themselves, is this the right thing to do or, or not? Well, do you think it would be a good thing in the same way that I think like the urbex community, you know, the abandoned building photographers, they don't publish where they are when they show a photo because they don't want more and more people descending on that spot and it getting more and more vandalized and damaged and so on. Do you think that that's a good tactic for travel and landscape photographers to not sort of broadcast that information up front and like you said people if they want to find out there's there's ways to do their research but for the for the sort of average casual observer they would you know they would just be without the information and therefore less likely to be an issue in terms of lowering the foot traffic i think that is actually pretty pretty good thing i i would say um Obviously, like I said, if someone really wants to figure out where a certain place is, like the internet is, is your best friend and, and you will find eventually. But I don't, I don't see that sharing the locations carry any benefit to the photographer. So mm -hmm. in, in that sense, I, if, if I see some, some, or if I visit a unique place that possibly is at a risk of, of gaining more interest after that, then I definitely don't share the location, but if it's somewhat generally well-known location anyway, then I don't really care. But I, I think <laughs> if, if, if there is any, any reason to protect that, then absolutely. I, I think that's a, that's a good thing to keep to yourself and, and enjoy it. And if you, if you got some beautiful work from there, that's the main thing. And, and the location is irrelevant. Like I said at the beginning, huge fan of, and slightly jealous of, of all of your amazing images, especially just the experience of the places that you've been. But one thing that has to be, a, a, that has to be the case with you because of the amount of traveling that you have to do and the amount of hiking that I imagine is involved, you've got to be in pretty good shape. Um, I'm, I'm imagining in the state that I'm in at the moment, I probably wouldn't be much use other than kind of getting out of the car, taking a picture and getting back in the car. But you also, I imagine you have to kind of really limit the gear that you're taking with you. So you're not carrying tons and tons of camera gear that's not necessary because you've got to limit that weight and make the, the, the movement as humanly possible in terms of effort. 
How do you go about refining what's in your camera bag and, and how little are you actually carrying with you when you go out to kind of do your average location shoot? That's a really good point. Actually, I haven't thought about it too much or, or talk to anyone about this, but, um, I wouldn't say I'm in specifically great shape. I, I do exercise regularly and, and I run actively and go on hikes just for fun as well. So trying to, trying to keep my body moving, but, um, going on, going on missions in the nature with full camera, backpack is is pretty daunting and and i have done several trips where where you are moving only by foot for several days and and last time i checked my camera bag was something like 25 kilos so it is it is definitely an extra weight and um i only bring what i really need which is difficult because you want to be prepared for, for what's to come. And, and if I'm working with other people or for a specific project, then I usually know exactly the tools I will need. But if it's just for fun, I, I feel like I've, I've had this struggle a lot more in the past where, where I would be carrying around some extra lenses and, and things like that just in case. And these days I, I try to limit my, my gear amount to as little as possible. So I, I primarily carry one camera body and, um, maximum two different lenses if possible. And then of course, extra, extra batteries and, and all the, all the small things that come with it. And often, especially if it's, if it's some, uh, mountaineering or, or camping, hiking things, you also need to have space for, for all kinds of other gear. So actually the camera gear ends up being just maybe third of the entire setup. So, um, sometimes, sometimes the amount of gear is ridiculous. And, and <laughs> usually what I, what I do is like after every, every trip, I really just write down some notes, like, did I actually use this and this and this? And I try to be much more, um, intentional when I pack for the next one. So there, there are things that I always think that I will use, but end up not using. So I have slowly, slowly learned how to drop off those things. And one thing that I struggle with massively, and it's kind of a, it's definitely a mental thing more than anything else is that I feel like if I'm photographing a landscape when I'm on holiday or or whatever, compared to when I'm doing a portrait shoot, compared to when I'm doing a wedding, you know, depending on what I'm photographing, I feel like I have to be a different photographer. I have to approach things differently. And I feel like with, with your work, you're a lot more, f- and this is just obviously from the outside, I don't know for asking, but I feel like from, from where I'm looking on the outside, your work is just uh, uh, whatever you're photographing, whether it be people, places, people in places, you know, small details. It's always just you as a photographer. It feels a lot more like your personality comes through as the photographer. Do, do you view like a landscape shoot as opposed to photographing, you know, a person? Do you feel like you have to be a different photographer? You have to approach it differently? Or is it just you and your camera and whatever gets in the way is the way that you photograph it? That's a very 
interesting question and and um thanks for saying that i actually haven't haven't really analyzed my my approach or my my work in that way so it's it's very interesting hearing hearing someone someone else put it in that way i actually myself as well i have background in in wedding photography there was there was um going a little bit back in back in time to the starting after i got my first camera i was trying to trying to really just figure out how to properly use use cameras so i was i was shooting or actually in the beginning second shooting several weddings and and then took took a whole bunch um weddings by myself and and really enjoyed that because that forced me to learn my camera extremely quickly and and also adjust into whatever was going on around me so i'm i'm very thankful for for that season in my life and and i think there are several several or many ways to approach photography and and a lot of people are are saying that you have to find your find your lane and and stick to that lane if you are this type of photography do that and become a specialist in that and and so on mm-hmm. and so forth but i i definitely think that what i see i want to be shooting that and if if i narrow that down to only some specific aspects of of life or types of photography i would be missing out eventually and and limiting myself and i don't want to do that i i have respect for those who are specialists in in their field and niche but i definitely want to be able to shoot anything and everything and there are areas in in photography that i'm i'm completely infant in such as like studio photography i don't know much about and 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 um, probably much much more but what i what i ultimately want is that i want to approach photography as something that is a tool for me to express myself whether it's being outdoors whether it's being in a party with with people whether it's you name it so i i want to be i want to be using my camera as a very versatile tool to express what i see regardless of where i am so so in 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 that sense like i i don't really look much um, i don't really look much at landscape photography and other other landscape photographer photographers work because it it is as much as it's fun and and um I, I enjoy it, but at the same time, like, I, I don't want that to have anything to do with how I would photograph that place. So, um, I, I think, um, let me see. I, I lost my thought for a second. Well, I guess really the, the question is, is overall, do you feel like if you introduce a person into the scene that you're photographing, do you feel that you have to approach it differently? Do you feel like you have to change the, the the perspective that you're shooting it from? Are you are you concerned with 
the, that person's opinion on the overall image? Or are you still just photographing the way that you feel you should photograph? I would say, I would say that as long as no one is paying for my work, then I will 100% do whatever I want and, and photograph it in a way that um, usually I, I take photos that I, I know or I, I see instinctively but I also try to then experiment a little bit with, with composition and um, the angles and, and even, even focal lengths that I usually would not necessarily use here, but I maybe should try a little bit and sort of push my own limits in, in that way, because usually those, those moments when I do that and, and then I look back at what I photographed in, in certain place or, or for a certain project, I end up learning afterwards when I, when I look at those images that, Hey, actually this worked out really well. I was very unsure at the time I took these photos, but now I actually, I'm very glad I did it. So I, I think that, um, always trying to, trying to take those quote unquote, safe images that I, that I instinctively see first, but also take those photos that I would not necessarily take if I only had a few minutes. And, and that's, that's the way I, that's the way I learned the most by, by doing rather than trying to theorize and, and overthink them. Please forgive my stupidity on asking this question, but as someone that you know, my, my main start in photography was portraiture. And, and then obviously, like I say, I moved into weddings to practice portraiture. I just have to find a person and then photograph them to do what you're doing. I, I don't know how you practice it. I don't know how you build up the ability without, and I, I don't mean this to sound rude, but I'm, I'm English and everything we say sounds rude, but how you practice without wasting lots of opportunities. So like if you wanted to practice photographing an amazing waterfall, you have to go to the waterfall and you've only got a finite amount of time photographing that landscape before you're done. And if you're not, you know, pretty good at it straight off the bat, you're not going to come away with much. And although the experience might be great, you're not going to come away with much in, in terms of the photos. How do you practice what you do? That's a very good question. And, and to start with, I, I have great respect to portrait photographers. That's one of the areas that I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with what, what comes to really documenting people well. But, um, I think to answer your question, I have definitely, it's, it's a trial and error business and, and, um, there has been probably tens, if not even hundreds of times that I, I try to document a certain place in, in a way that I, I had in mind. And I just couldn't do that, whether I ran out of time or, or I just couldn't figure out how to make something look good and coming back home and, and looking at my images and had originally having high expectations because I know that it's a beautiful place. I know that maybe someone else photographed it really well and, and, and 
I couldn't get anything that I am happy with. And usually in, instead of being, being very sad about it, I, I try to think that as, as one of the best learning opportunities, try to really analyze what, what went wrong? Like, why, why did I not accomplish what I, what I really wanted and, and, um, taking notes again and, and, and trying to figure out like, okay, if I had a similar opportunity again, what would I do differently? And, and I think that's, that's something that what comes to personal work, of course, like if I, if I go to a location that is some hours away, like that is, that is relatively mild, mild expense in, in terms of time and money. So I could probably go and and repeat that if needed, but then there are some, sometimes if I, if I'm on a trip, let's say somewhere in the rural, rural North America in, in Montana, somewhere that, you know, I'm documenting something that I will not have the opportunity to do twice likely. Then I'm, I'm definitely taking it much more seriously in a way that if I, if I didn't, didn't get what I want, then why did that happen? How do I, how do I do that? And, and I, I have a tendency to be pretty harsh on myself and, and in, in that sense, really going, going deep. And, and that again comes to trying not to overthink things, but at the same time being, being very objective and, and think like, okay, there was, there was the light. It was not about that. There was X, Y, and Z. It was not about that. Maybe it was that my, my mindset was wrong for, for getting the images. Maybe I didn't notice certain things. Maybe I was too fixated on, on using some focal length that maybe could have worked much better with, with something else. And I just didn't think, so I, I think, I think every time I go on a new, whether it's a trip or, or just one quick visit somewhere, I, I try to go through those mental notes that I have been taking previously and, and be as well prepared as possible so that when, when things happen in front of me, I'm, I'm well prepped and I can adjust as quickly as possible and also come, come back with work that hopefully takes, takes the expectation even, even further and, and, um, coming back with images that are different and better than I could have prepped for. So that's the ultimate goal with that. Really ridiculous question to ask in the face of all of that, but what do you find more joy in? Is it the experience of, of traveling to that place and seeing it yourself? Or do you take more joy in having the photo that you can share with others? That's a, that's a good question. And I think, I think it, it, it comes with different layers. First of all, it depends if, if it's just for personal reasons and, and also, or if it's, if it's a paid, paid project. So often, often I combine my, with my photography, I, I do, um, outdoor lifestyle photography for, for clients. 
And that involves shooting out in the nature, usually implementing brands into my world as much as possible. So I would say for outsider, it's probably hard to see a difference if if something was paid work or non-paid work. And I, I think that's that's a good thing. But it it all depends that if if it's just for for my own own fun, I think I definitely enjoy that I have all the creative freedom that I could ask for. So if if I don't get anything, it's it's up to me. And um if it's if it's on someone else's dime, if they are paying for the the time and and um skill set that they hired me to do, then of course there are certain deliverables and and I'm expected to deliver. Of course, in those cases I I try to also in addition come back with work that they didn't ask for, but is hopefully something that they enjoy and and maybe even better that they they originally asked for. So that's that's the dream scenario. But um yeah I I, I enjoy having the creative freedom and and also with the with the work I I do I I really love how I get to bring branded work that is very raw and authentic in a in a way that there is very little you can do with those natural elements when you are somewhere out in the mountains and and you are shooting for a client there there has been many many times when things go unexpected and and if they had a shot list that usually goes out the window that second because the weather is not aligning with our plan and and those kind of things so that's that's usually when i get really excited because now we no longer have a plan now we have to improvise <laughs> and that's usually when i thrive so let's let's take a bit of a, a turn here what was it that led you to to take up uh, producing YouTube videos? Now, before we get started on that channel entirely, I do have to say anyone that isn't subscribed needs to immediately go and subscribe because it's it's a wonderful YouTube channel. But what is it that was it a, a branding thing you wanted to kind of have more of yourself out there, or was it you know you wanted to show people the behind the scenes of what you're doing? What was it that really made you want to make YouTube videos? Well, thank you for saying that. First of all, I think. To answer your question, it was it was probably a little bit of all of that, but uh, the main reason was that we are now talking about roughly a year and a half ago. I had not taken a single video clip in my life except what I have maybe done with with uh, iPhone and usually lives and stays in my iPhone. Right. Um, the main, the main trigger for, for starting the YouTube channel was to learn how to put together a basic, basic video. And, um, I have, I have a handful of friends who are, who are doing, uh, video work and also YouTube on, on very advanced level. And, um, they I have been following what they do and and the beautiful work that they create and and uh, I felt like I at least want to be able to put together a simple video because that's something that I have 
never touched. I have, I have never even tried. I don't know if I would enjoy it, but now it's, now it's definitely time to at least give it a go and, um, sort of, sort of, uh, accepting that I'm starting from absolutely zero. So it's not going to be very beautiful. It's, it's sort of like overcoming the, the, the inner voice that, that says that why bother? Because it's probably going to look very bad because, you know, you're complete amateur in that, which is hundred percent true, but being fine with that. And regardless, putting out things that sort of showing publicly my learning process, that was, that was the idea and, and, and kind of challenging myself in, in a new way that that is hopefully fun and and so far it has it has been incredibly fun putting putting uh together those videos and uh, i mean still i use premiere pro for for editing and and the first couple of films like it was such a nightmare to to try <laughs> to figure out like every every new question i had i had to go go google those and and watch countless youtube videos how to do this and how to do that and it's, there has, there has been some frustrating times with putting together videos, but I think it's a, ultimately a super fun process. And, and, um, I feel like now I at least know how to, how to put clips together and, and export them and, and, uh, upload them to YouTube. So we are, we are on the right track, hopefully. <laughs> well, to your point, it's like people say, if you, if you idolize someone for something, if you idolize a photographer, if you idolize whoever, for whatever they do, there was a point that they did that thing for the first time and they sucked at it. And the reason they've got to where they are now is because they took that first step. And if you worry too much about putting something out or, or working on something new because you're going to suck at it because it's the first time you're doing it, well, everyone sucks at everything the first time they do it. So just get over it, get on with it and get to the point where you're getting good at it. But you can't get there without taking that first step. That is 100% true. And, and, uh, I, I think, I think if I, if I really look back, I probably was playing with the idea of, of trying some video things way earlier, but I was, I was really battling with that thought that I don't want to, I don't want to suck in front of all these people. And, and especially like the more I learned about photography and, and I feel like my work was, was getting, um, slowly but surely better and better in, in, in that medium, I felt like it was, it was too much for me to handle being so bad in, in the other medium that now it's not the time for that. And I was putting that aside for a couple of years. And, and actually I, I have to, I have to thank, thank my friend, um, Maddie Hapoya, who has a massive, massive YouTube channel and, and, he, um, we are both from Finland originally. And, and, uh, from time to time we are, we are talking about these things and he would always ask like, so when are you starting your YouTube channel? And I was like, I'm not even thinking of that, but it was, it was somewhere in, in the back of my head for, for a long, long time until I was like, okay, I, I don't want to have any sort of ego in this and, and it will look bad, but I want to get started because I, I, I want to, I want to learn. And, um, I, I also think that 
like you said, those people that you look up to, like they were on the point zero once. Mm. So if you don't start today, when is it going to happen? And if you are just pushing it, then you're eventually running out of time. So you better start right now. So that's, that's really what I, what I thought with, with the whole, um, video making thing. And, and so far it's been very, very steep learning curve. And, and I, I love the challenge that it gives me. I think the only, only downside is that it's still at this point, so time consuming. So I, I wish I had a little bit more time to put into that, but, but I, I love showing some behind the scenes things and, and, um, really just having all the freedom to make whatever kind of videos I, I feel like making. And often it's, it's aligning very closely with, with my photography. Really stupid question here, but when you're, when you're actually out on location and you're filming as well as taking photographs, do you feel like doing the the extra work for YouTube actually affects like the quality of the photos that you're taking? That is definitely not a stupid question. It's actually a very, very good question. I would, I would love to ask that from someone, someone who, who has done that way more than I have. I think it's, it's not easy that, that I must say, um, I would say that those photography, uh, trips or projects that, that have been particularly important or, or there are budgets and, and responsibilities and, and those in those cases, I only do video if I can. And if I know that I don't, I'm not forced to compromise the photography. So, um, usually I would say the, the video comes if I, if I have the time for that, or if I have someone else who is maybe able to take some behind the scenes clips and, and, uh, and take a little bit weight off my shoulders, but especially if, if someone else is paying, paying for my time and images, then, then the photography definitely comes first. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if there is any, any capacity on, on top of that, then absolutely. I'm, I'm all for it. But I, I find that, I find that it is, it is very complicated. Try to keep your head focused in, in both of those. If, if you are trying to do, trying to do both photo and video and, and, Actually, that's, that's something that I don't know if it's even a great idea in terms of like trying to, trying to deliver the best work or, or get those, get those, um, good images that you, you want to be getting. If you're trying to think through two different mediums, I, I find that definitely video does take the backseat in, in that hierarchy, but, um, I hopefully become more and more capable of, of sort of doing the video on the side effortlessly enough so that I don't need to really think about it, but I can, I can really just focus on, on photos because that's, that's definitely still the, the main thing for me. And, and, uh, I would label myself, uh, photo- as photographer over, or videographer, videographer in, in every way. Well, when I first messaged you about coming on the podcast, uh, you gave me one of the best uh, delayed yeses I've ever had, which was to say that 
you're that you're just prepping for a, a trip to the Arctic for a shoot, and that we'll talk when you get back. And that's that's a pretty good excuse. All things in that's a, that's a pretty great excuse. You've obviously said about the beginnings of photography for you that amazing feeling. Since then, what is what is the real standout moment for you as a photographer? What's the location that that just kind of stands above all the others? in your mind what's the experience that at the moment you look back on as being like the peak of um the journey that photography's taken you on that is again a great question <laughs> i think i think um looking back 5 years i i had been traveling in in lots of places and and usually cities and and um sort of more more popular places and and really enjoyed that but um I find that the more I travel and the more I, I think of where I would want to travel, the past few years have been, have been really wild and, and, um, taking me to places that I, I definitely didn't even know exist to, to some extent. And, and, um, especially the most recent trip to, to the Arctic in, in Svalbard, that was, that was one of them. Another one being the Montana state in, in the North America or Northern U S and those, those two places are, are particularly very, very, um, remarkable in a, in a way that they are so far from home. They're so different. They're, they're in their own way. So uncomfortable, I Probably, I mean, it doesn't really fit the list, but but also Hawaii for me is is very different. I I would say like photographing the active volcanoes from from helicopter. Uh, that is that is something that doesn't happen all the time, and it's like you get you get one quick chance on on shooting those, and and either you get it or you don't get it, and and then you go home and cry or, or you smile. <laughs> same, same with, same with the, with the recent Arctic trip. I, I had been dreaming of seeing a polar bear in, in person for many, many years. And, and those, those animals are not very easy to find. And if you find them, there are a handful of different risks and, and things that could, could go very drastically wrong. And, and I was, I was lucky enough to see, see the, the King of the Arctic and, and photograph that. And that was, that was definitely, if, if I had to name, name one highlight that, that would be since it's recent, recent in my memory, that would be the one I, I, I would list. And I have to ask the most irritating generic question because I feel like it's just the natural next step. Is there anywhere that you are absolutely desperate to get to that you haven't had the chance to photograph yet? That is actually something that I thought of earlier today and, and in the past past few weeks. For some reason, I'm very drawn to the the polar regions and, and cold. I don't know what, mm -hmm. it, what it is. Maybe it's my, my Finnish blood or... or the fact that I have practiced the ice swimming my entire life, but for some reason, cold is, is my, my comfort zone. And, and for, 
maybe that's the wrong word. It's not, <laughs> it's very uncomfortable, but, but at the same time, I find a lot of joy in the, in, in this weird way of suffering, I would say. Um, that being said, I definitely want to experience Antarctica. That's, that's on my, on my list on, on the top. And I don't know with the current state of the world, how that works or, or if it's going to happen anytime soon, um, currently working, working on that project, trying to, trying to figure out different ways, how that may look like, but, um, hopefully that's the one. Another one I, I have not seen is, uh, Greenland. That's something very, very fascinating, not necessarily for the, for the landscape though, but I, uh, I find that both, um, Greenland and, and, the Northern Canada, they have extremely interesting people groups. And, and I would love to really dive deeper into, into the way of living and, and understanding the history and, and the culture since they are living so remotely and, and in so differently from, from the rest of the world. And of course, like that is, there are, there are very, very similar groups of people in, in also warmer places. But, but for me, those, those Northern regions are, are very fascinating at, at this point in my life. Well, if I was to be trusted with giving you your next destination myself and somewhere I'd love to see you photograph, and in particular, I'd love to see you kind of create a project out of uh, maybe almost, maybe a book, something like that would be somewhere like the Faroe Islands, somewhere that's really overlooked mostly by sort of North Americans and mainland Europeans and, and in the UK. But I feel like with your perspective and the way that you photograph, I'd love to see your approach to like the people, the landscapes and, you know, just the general scenery of the Faroe Islands, because it's a less documented place than, than some of the others. I mean, if you want to go Antarctica, I'm, I'm down for you making a book out of that as well. That would be pretty cool. Maybe even somewhere <laughs> like north of Vancouver in, in Canada, where you can head up and get pictures of like the ice bears and, and pictures of the, the reserves and stuff. I, I think one thing that I find so infinitely fascinating about photography, and I apparently am fairly alone in this, is that I'm always just really excited to see what other people are doing almost more than I'm excited to do anything myself, which is probably just me being lazy. but. I'm just a really big fan of photographers and um, it's always exciting to see what they've got coming up next and, and you need to release some books so I can buy some books. I want to ask you a really frustrating negative question and then I'll, I'll slowly let you depart from the podcast because you've been extremely patient with me so far. In terms of your own experience, what's the hardest part of photography for you? Hardest part of photography for me is... I would say that it doesn't directly have anything to do with photography itself, but it's probably time management in, in a way that for me doing this full time and, and, and this being something that I, I want to make a career out of, um, that is, that is long and, and hopefully very prosperous. I think business side is extremely important and that is, um, that is a big, big part of what I do. And, and I, I think in order to 
make a success, successful photography career that also pays the bills. I, I think you have to know the business side quite well. So I, I feel like managing your time in a way that you also have the time for the creative work time for, for going out and, and shooting just for fun while you are also taking care of the business side. I, I think that's, that's a, that's a difficult one. And, and, um, I find that I, I have during the past couple of years, uh, become better and better at that and being your own boss and, and, and sort of self disciplined in, in a way that, uh, setting up good routines and, and making sure that things actually are taken care of. And, and it's not just like this, um, sort of ebbing and flowing chaos and mess all around you and, and trying to, um, really just make, make plan plans for, for each day and month and, and, and year and, and stick to that. I, I think, I think that has been hugely beneficial for me. And, and that's, that's something that I, I constantly work on and, and try to make sure that my systems are dialed in so that I can have the sort of capacity in, in my schedule and, and in my brain as well for all the creative work. And my last question is, it's a bit of a Debbie Downer, but I'm going to go for it. You're someone that thrives on new locations, new interesting places, the great outdoors and so on. And if the, of all the places to be limited in travel, I feel like Norway's not a bad place to be, but how have you kept yourself positive? How have you kept yourself creative this year through all of the nonsense that's gone on in the world? That's a really, really good question. I think, I think uh, the routines that I, I have uh, built up for myself, those have helped and particularly out of all those running has been one of the most important things. I think doing, doing what I do, I, I sit behind a computer way too much, um, whether it's planning, planning some new, new missions and, and writing down ideas and, and that sort of things. I look at screens way too much. So I, I find it extremely important to take regularly time. Me and my wife, we, we have a dog, so he's forcing forcing us to go on, go on walks. And, and actually I find that <laughs> I, I, I keep taking longer and longer walks every day. So I'm, I'm trying to at least get 10 kilometers each day. So that's, that's something that, um, gives me fresh air and, and, uh, keeps me looking at the nature. We, we live in, in a smaller town here in Norway. So we have forest and forest and big lake and, and some mountains right next to us. So it's, it's, it's a good place to be outside. And, um, that's, that's one of the big things. And, and also, um, I try to, I try to read books and, um, really just do those basic things that people were doing 50, 60, hundred years ago that keep me grounded. And cause it's, it's way too easy to get caught up in, in the whole information cycle and, and Instagram feeds and Twitters and YouTubes and, and all those. And, and 
that definitely happens. Some days I I end up just looking at my screens all day long and I really feel like crap at the end of the day. And and then I'm like, okay, now now it's time to time to um get check checked in again and and stick stick to the routine so I, I think that has been good so definitely exercising and trying trying to eat well um trying to stay out of junk food i i think that's something that also running helps with when when i have my nutrition dialed in then also i i enjoy being being running more and and um i feel better i sleep better and and that that has been very very helpful for me so maybe that's that's a simple answer but but i i think that's that's what has worked for me so far try not to try not to think of the um world situations too much pretty pretty amazing advice i think especially with i don't know if it's just me but it feels like social media the last year on top of all of the other things that we have to contend with is constantly trying to push us down the news route or the the sort of political route or the looking at the world economics or, or, you know, this disaster or that disaster. And it's, it's nice to just walk away from your phone, walk away from your screen and breathe and, you know, just kind of enjoy life rather than constantly worrying about it. Right. This part now is my favorite part of the podcast because it's the whole reason we're here. It's the whole reason I started the podcast is because I basically like to harass people into liking things that I like. So um, this is where we get to tell everyone where they can find your YouTube channel, uh, your Instagram, your website, and so on. So I want you to just plug away everywhere people can go to find your amazing work. So basically, you can find me just under my name, Joel Hyppunen. It's a little bit little bit complicated last name, very Finnish. Um, but yeah, you can find me on, on YouTube and, and Instagram on Joel Hyppunen. And the website is joelhippinen.com. So everything should be there. And um, the website is is being updated as I as I get to go through my recent recent uh, hard drives and and do that. That's also one of one of those ever changing battles trying to trying to keep those platforms up to date. It's it's something that uh, I think every every photographer struggles to some extent. Also, I have to I have to go go back slightly into into one of your um, or points, regardless the the dream destinations and and you mentioned Faroe Islands. I actually I think it's a it's a very very great idea, and I would love to do that but my dear friend um fellow photographer hannes becker he has and actually as we speak he still is there he has spent probably now three months documenting that place and i don't think anyone has spent that long time just documenting the the entire island and and the people and and sort of getting access to to the the community there like he has now. And I was just talking with him on the phone the other day and, and he's making a book out of that. So, so that's, that's not something, something for me to do, but I'm, I'm excited for, for his book and I will, I will find my, my own destinations, but, um, 
from coming coming from you that was that was absolutely a great idea also i must add that aside from from uh, antarctica and greenland i i often look at the northern russia and and that's that's a territory that there has been photographers before but also it's it's a very very huge area and and i find that it's it's somewhat unexplored in in a way that i i would want to do it so definitely something i will i will be looking into you're not just a talented man you're you're a wonderfully nice person as well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us thank you very much chris it was a pleasure talking to you